Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. This particular passage, I think, uh, we can read fairly easy from the King James without a lot of difficulty in comprehending the actual wording. Remember that the book of Hebrews is written to, particularly to Jewish Christians. And there is a considerable amount of reference to the history of the Jewish people from the Old Testament. And there certainly is reference again to the Hebrew people, particularly during the time of the wilderness wandering, the 40 years they spent in the wilderness, and a part of that is in the reference for today's reading. Verse 7 of chapter 3, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the days of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their hearts, they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. For some, when they had hardened, I beg your pardon, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? Ye see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word. Let us unite together in prayer. Our Father, we come into your presence this morning as your children, praying that you would speak to our hearts in a very special way. We ask especially if there are any in our congregation who are not saved, who have not believed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, who have not yielded their lives unto him, you would especially deal with them today. We would see souls won into your kingdom, even this morning. We pray through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. I want you to look at four particular verses in this passage. The latter, part, uh, the latter portion of verse 7 and the beginning of verse 8, which says... Today, if 
you will hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Over to verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Down to verse 15, a repeat of verse 7 and 8. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And in verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. I've titled the message this morning, Hard-Hearted. I think you can see quickly where I have gotten the title. When the Lord pleads with his people that they will not harden their hearts. We're accustomed to following roadsides. If I asked you how to get to Charleston, you might give me a complicated process of how I would get there, but the simplest way for you to tell me how to get to Charleston is turn north on 119 and follow the sign. Follow the signs. That's the easiest way is to put somebody on the right road and then say, follow the signs. Well, on the back of the cigarette packs that are produced today is a sign, and it says the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. It's a sign. We need to put the same kind of sign on the cartons and the backs of many things. All of us are quite accustomed to going to the store and before purchasing a product, read the signs on the package to determine whether we ought to buy it or not. I guarantee you, when I found out that I was a diabetic, my wife spent hours in the grocery store buying the groceries because she was reading the label on every package to find out what did not have sugar in it. You'd be surprised how much stuff is made that does not have sugar in it. I, don't have, I didn't have to worry about Thanksgiving. I had pumpkin pie and I had cherry pie and neither one of them had a bit of sugar in it. Nobody else wanted it. I had a whole pie. <laughs> the only trouble was I left the cherry pie out on the table and nobody but me knew that it didn't have any sugar in it and it went just like hotcakes and I never got the one piece of that one. But I got the pumpkin pie where I wrote on it and put my name right on it and they knew that there was no sugar in it. Follow the signs. God has given us signs to follow about his will and his desire. I want to go back to the book of Ezekiel for one of them from the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Here's the sign or the admonition, the encouragement. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. Why will ye die, O house of Israel? The indication in that verse is unless a person turns, he will die. 
Unless a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, he will experience eternal death. 2 Peter 3.9, one from the New Testament. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want anyone to eternally die. He wants everyone to live. The problem is, men turn their hearts against God, become cold and indifferent, and refuse to read the signs of life that would indicate the way to eternal life. God does not want anyone to go to hell. But ignoring the signs along the road that leads to hell will assuredly land one in hell. They tell me that above the falls on the Niagara River, before the water becomes very rapid, that there is a sign that hangs out over the river. The sign has these words on it, past redemption point. Meaning that if one ignores the warning and allows his boat to drift into the swift waters of the Niagara River, he is beyond the point of saving. I don't know if that sign is there, but I've been told that it is. I've seen the rushing water of the Niagara, but I've never been far up enough river to find where it's quiet. The book of Hebrews gives us a sign, a passage of scripture that indicates this very fact. A warning. You, like I, have seen hotel fires or large building fires on television. I've never personally experienced one in which individuals come to the windows and stand there, and everybody on the ground is advising them to jump. And the firemen are down below with the large, whatever they're called, nets, into which a person can jump to safety. But from the 10th floor, looking down, that's a hard decision to make. Safety is there, and everyone says jump. But the person standing in the window begins to have second thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts deal with what he's going to have to leave behind that he can't take along. His possessions, perhaps. Another thought that runs through that person's mind is maybe there's another way, another way out. And he may go back and try to search through the hallways and find a fire escape that would lead him to safety. But there is no other way. Then he begins to think, what's it going to look like if I jump out of this window how awkward it's going to be, how embarrassing. 
that's the only way is to jump. When life is at stake, one's personal attitude, one's personal embarrassment should be overlooked. Most of us would never dare bear our bodies to the public view. But when our life is at stake, we do not care that the nurses and doctors see us in our nudity because they're there to save our life. And we will accept that without embarrassment. Many people are lost because of the embarrassment of going through, let's say, the process of being saved. When life is at stake, nothing should matter. The rich young ruler came to Jesus on one occasion and said, Good Master, what must I do to be saved? And the Lord said, well, you know the commandments, keep them. And the young man said, I've kept all those commandments all my life, but what do I lack yet? There was a reality in that man's life that he knew that there was something missing that he didn't have. The keeping of a set of rules, following the order and the pattern of life, does not save one. One has to jump off into the net in order to be saved. And this man was not willing to do it, though he knew the reality. Jesus, through the writer of Hebrews, uses the history of the Hebrew people as a signpost to guide us in our way to salvation. Now some people will say, but how do I know that God will save me, even if I want to be saved? And how do I know that if I do not become a Christian, that I'll go to hell? Because I've never had the experience. Maybe, preacher, you're wrong. Maybe I'm right. As an evangelist said on one occasion when we were in a home visitation program to an individual, a man who was arguing, how do I know that what you're teaching and preaching is right? And maybe I'm right and you're wrong. And the evangelist said very forcibly to that man, if I'm wrong in what I preach and teach and believe, when I die, if I'm wrong, I haven't lost a thing in this world. I haven't lost a thing. But he said to the man, and he pointed his finger at him, and said, but if you're wrong, you've lost everything. The tremendous gamble, suppose I don't hit the net. Let me tell you, if you don't jump, you're dead. And it's the Lord Jesus that holds them out of life. We don't have to have that experience to know that some things have a devastating effect upon us. No one of us has to stick our hand in the fire to know that fire burns. For we have all seen the evidence in somebody else. 
We don't have to experience the problem of speeding down the highway to know that speed kills because we see the evidence of the pictures on television and the newspapers daily of those who have experienced that tragedy. We don't have to become an alcoholic to know that alcohol destroys. We don't have to become a drug addict to know that it's going to wipe the very minds of many of our young people and, and adults as well. Completely out of existence, there'll be nothing more than zombies. We don't have to experience to know because we have seen it in other people. And what the Lord is wanting us to do is look at the history of Israel in the wilderness and, that, and take that experience and learn something from it. And he begins in the seventh verse by saying, Today, a sense of urgency. Today, if you will hear my voice. D.L. Moody, great evangelist of some years ago, was conducting a, an evangelistic campaign in the city of Chicago on the night of the great Chicago fire. It had been D.L. Moody's pattern of preaching to tell his congregation to go home and think about it. The night of the Chicago fire, he had made that very statement for people to think about it and come back another night to make a decision. The fire took the lives of a number of the people that were in his congregation that evening. And from that time on in his preaching, he never said, go home and think about it. Because there is an urgency for the need of a person to jump off the ledge into the net that the Lord Jesus holds. Well, what about this experience of the Hebrew people? We know that they had been in Israel or in Egypt in bondage. They had been in Egypt in bondage for 400 years. They began to pray to God to deliver them. And God heard their prayer. God prepared a man named Moses to go down and lead them out. They rallied around Moses, and Moses went to the Pharaoh and pleaded for their release, and you know the story, how he got rejected over and over again. The Hebrew people saw the plagues that came upon Egypt, and they were prepared for that last plague and the night of marching, and marched out of Egypt, three million strong, with their thousands upon thousands of livestock. What a tremendous thing that God led them out of Egypt. Then the first thing happened was they had to face the Red Sea. And they looked at that water and they couldn't get across. They looked behind and here came the Egyptian army. And they began to grumble. Already they had lost faith in God. They were now not willing to jump anymore. What are we going to do? And Moses turned them around and said, march toward that sea. And they marched in force at the direction of Moses toward the sea. And God opened up that Red Sea and they went across on dry land. Another celebration, a jubilation. They were rescued. God was faithful to his word. 
and then they didn't have any food to eat, and they began to grumble. And they got up one morning, after all this grumbling, they looked out, and the ground was covered with a white substance. They called it manna. Manna means, what is it? They got up and looked out and said, what is it? And they ate, what is it, for 40 years. But they got awful tired of that, and they began to grumble some more. And they complained, and they began to lose faith, and they wanted to go back to Egypt, because all they had to eat was, what is it? And God sent them quail, the most delicate meat, tasty, that, that could be sent, I suppose. And they were glad. And then they didn't have any water, and they grumbled again. And all the time, God was protecting them and answering the prayer to bring them out of Egypt. And they were losing faith. Every conceivable evidence had been presented to the Hebrew people that God was supporting them and upholding them. Every conceivable evidence. And they wouldn't accept it. What did they want? They wanted one more miracle. Always one more miracle. And I have heard people say that if I could see a miracle, I would believe. And let me tell you, you won't believe it when you see it. Because we have all seen the miracles of God performed over and over and over. And we attributed those miracles to something else. Nobody believes a miracle when it happens. When somebody is brought back from the very jaws of death from a hospital room. And their cancer is cured. And they go back into society. We don't say that's a miracle. People say there was a misdiagnosis. Listen, we need to believe that God is performing miracles. And we have them all around us. The rich man died and went to hell. Lazarus died and went to the bosom of Abraham. And as the rich man looked over there and saw Lazarus and all of the, the blessings that he was now getting, and there he was in torment, he cried out to Abraham. And he said, Father Abraham, won't you send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and put it to my lips that I might have some relief. And that could not be done because of the gulf fixed between them. But the point that I want to make here is, then the rich man said, well, if Abraham cannot, or if uh, you can't send Lazarus down here to help me, won't you send him back to my brethren? I don't want them to come here. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let your brethren hear them. What is God saying? We have his word. We have the experience of the Hebrew people. We have plenty of evidence as to why it is necessary for us to jump off the ledge into the net. And nobody wants to do it. I don't know what evidence can I present this morning that would convince you that you need to jump. That has not already been presented somewhere. You know, I've come to the conclusion that there probably is no evidence sufficient for a person who does not want to believe. 
I've come to another conclusion over the years that it's time for unsaved people to quit offering excuses and just say, I don't believe. Get it over with. Do you or don't you? The evidence is presented all the way through the scripture and from every church in the country. Well, there's one final blow I think we must look at before we conclude. And that is, God got the Hebrew people to the edge of the promised land and they were looking over there into the promised land. And I'm going to talk about that promised land tonight. It's called God's Rest. And I think it's an important message you ought to hear from the fourth chapter. God said to Moses, send out some spies and let them look over the land that I promised you. So twelve went out. They looked it all over. And when they came back, some of the guys had poles on their shoulders and hanging on that pole were pods of grapes. You talk about a land that was plentiful where there was lots of food. They had to carry a pot of grapes between them in order to get it back to camp. It indeed was a land flowing with milk and honey. God does want to pour out His blessing upon His people. He promised His uh, Israelites that He would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And here they were, ready to go in. And they come back and bring the evidence. And ten of them say, well, the, the land is certainly good. It's flowing with milk and honey. There's food everywhere. It's luscious in every way. But, the word but always gets into the, problem, into the, into the situation. But, those guys are giants. Big men. Why, in their view, we're just like grasshoppers. Always an excuse, a but, a reason to not believe, not trust God. So they backed off, and God became angry with them. And in the 14th chapter of Numbers, let me read you two verses. But of all, because all those men which had seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt, and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times. Ten times they had tempted God, and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Who is not going to see the promised land? Those who do not believe. That's who. Those people that God had blessed for 40 years. And every one of them who came out of Egypt, with the exception of those who believed in him fully, died in the wilderness. And when the Hebrew people went in, it was a new generation. Those who came out of Egypt never got to the promised land because they did not believe, except for Caleb and Joshua. The man says, God, prove yourself one more time. I'm not quite sure I believe yet. 
God, show me because I'm not sure I'm ready. What I'm saying to you this morning is there's enough evidence presented wherever you want to look that every man, woman, child ought to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him as his Savior. He says, today, if you hear my voice, then don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. You know, there are physical hearts in the body that become hard because of disease and other organs. Lynn's liver had become fairly hard until this last series of chemotherapy and it's beginning to soften. We don't think about those organs that must be soft and pliable to work. The heart of man is soft and pliable. When it becomes hard, it refuses to work anymore. When man's spiritual heart, that mind of his, that determination of his, that resists and says no, that individual will not see the promised land will not see heaven because his heart has been hardened and he refuses to believe what God has done for him. Today, if you will hear my voice, the Lord says, do not harden your heart, but believe. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.